You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In Sing Now or Forever Hold Your Peace, a group of guys who sang together in a college a cappella group reunite 15 years later to discover how their lives have progressed and in some cases regressed since their college heyday. With us today is Bruce Letty, the film's writer and director. Bruce Letty, welcome to film school. Thank you. How are you today? I'm quite well, and yourself? I'm doing very well. Where are we reaching you at? Where, where did you call us from? I'm got... in uh, Santa Monica at the oh, moment, at um, my home. So, so things are fine in Santa Monica, I hope. They're lovely, oh, <laughs> as, as always. It's uh, the same every day. <laughs> it is. Now, now, how did you get inspired with this project? What, what got you going? What's the impetus here for Sing Now? Um, well, it depends on if you mean as a script or as a project. Okay, um, as, either way. As a script, uh, it's loosely very semi-autobiographical in that um, I sang in a college a cappella group. I went to Williams College in Massachusetts. So I sang with a group there and then an alumni group in New York City called the Lemmings. Really, it was you know just sort of an excuse to get together periodically with this group of friends that had known each other since college. And you know I just found that the bonds between all of us um, that were formed through this experience of singing together and traveling and you know they were it was just a real unique situation and we did sing occasionally at people's weddings and very rarely in public but primarily it was just a good excuse to get together with this group of of good friends and it provided the inspiration for the screenplay originally and then it grew from that now now is there any character in here that you uh, is autobiographical in the film I, you know, I can't really say that without implicating my wife in, a, in some way, because each of the guys is affiliated with one woman or another. Yes, but, um, <laughs> implicating is the word. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of them's not having any sex, and one of them is uh, about to kill himself over his wife, and, you know, whatever. There's, there are various, one guy has just gotten divorced, and, you know, there, there are various issues going on that I don't really, uh, really want to associate her with. Um, I would say, actually, the truth is that, you know, each of those guys has a little of me in them in, in one respect or another, um, and that some of my friends were drawn on in, in loose ways, but primarily they're, they're fictitious characters that, you know, I chose as going through different turning points in their lives. I, I think that that point in general of sort of your mid-30s, a time of life that's very fraught with hazards because... You know, your 20s, you have this great optimism, especially if you went to one of these Ivy League-ish schools out east and you think you're going to take over the world when you leave college. And, you know, very few people do. And, uh, you know, so there's that sort of learning to cope with the flaps in the face that reality gives you. Um, And more importantly, to appreciate what you do have in your life. And all of these guys, despite the fact that they haven't maybe gotten to where they wanted to get, have a, a... a lot to, be, to celebrate in their lives, and uh, most importantly, their friendships and their relationships with the women who are important to them. So nice. they kind of learn to accept that by the end of the film. Now, was, was there a point then that you decided this was t- it was time to write a script about your experience and to, to wrap it together? Was that anything yeah. recent, or have you been working on it for quite a while? It's, you 
know, it was one of those projects that I had a folder in my drawer, and I would have a line or a scene or a character or something that I would just drop scraps of paper into for years. In the meantime, I wrote another screenplay that I sold to Paramount, and I wrote other scripts, and I did rewrites on projects, and most predominantly uh, was a director for television shows for many years. So I was working fully aside from the script, and then at a certain point, I had this massive file full of stuff, and I decided, you know, I had enough good material, and I just had to give it shape and structure and winnow it down to something that was manageable. Um, And by the time I had done that, I had banged my head against the studio walls enough that I didn't really want to go out with it as a spec script, which would be the typical thing you would do with a, uh, you know, a script you just write on your own. I just, I didn't want it to get laundered through the studio development process and have some executives say, "Hey, could they be a hip hop group instead of an acapella group?" Or, you know, or whatever it would have. Ha- it probably would have taken years and years and years and. I had been attached to a number of projects as a director um, that would go right to the brink of production and then something would happen and it would all fall apart. And, you know, and as I said, I did sell this one script to Paramount that's still sitting there after six years yeah. for, for no reason. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to just make this on my own and, and it's going to be more difficult because of a very limited budget, but the creative freedom will be well worth it. And it, and it really was. That's a bold leap there to, to decide you want to do the project on your own. Was, oh, yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> <laughs> is there, were there uh, backers? Uh, is there any particular uh, person you'd like to thank now? <laughs> well, there, were, there are backers, but only uh, in sort of the, the long view of the picture. Um, you know, I started by forming a production company and selling units in that at $10,000 a unit or whatever, you know, sort of a typical scenario, and and um, asked friends and family and anybody I knew, and I didn't really actually raise very much money that way, but I had this window of opportunity to shoot the film in. I, my regular job is I direct Mad TV for right. Fox, right. and so I had from April till mid-August that I wanted to get the film done in, and so I took out a home loan, and I oh, no. refinanced my house and did all these things you're never supposed to do really thinking I was just doing it to get the project started. And there were all these companies that were circling the project and saying, oh, we love the script. We're definitely going to get involved. We're going to bring financing and whatever. And so I kept moving forward, and I was like, I'm going to start shooting, you know, August 1st, and and I've got a casting. I got one of the best casting directors in the world, this woman, A.V. Kaufman, who's just amazing, and, you know, really kept moving forward. And the more I did that, the more these companies would be like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be shooting in August anyway, why don't we just wait and see and we'll yeah. just we'll see how it comes out or whatever. Because, you know, they know from a financial standpoint, the most dangerous time of, a, of any project is production. I mean, there are a million ways it can go wrong. So everybody kind of backed off and I ended up carrying the ball through all of production and, and oh. basically financing it myself, which was kind of terrifying because, <laughs> you know, anytime anybody broke a lamp or something, it was like, well, there's another $300 out of my pocket. <laughs> no. But, um, so somebody broke a lamp, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a few lamps. Broken. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it also was wonderful because, you know, it was just me and the actors and I would be, I was the only one at the monitor, you know, and I, when I was happy and they were happy, we would move on. And there was just a wonderful purity to that experience. There was mm-hmm. none of that looking over your shoulder to see if everybody else is okay with what that take was or whatever. And so, you know, from that standpoint, it was great. And then the nice thing was, um, as you mentioned, we won the audience award at Aspen, and 
that's where we had our premiere. And I would introduce the film by saying, you know, we're, it's not quite finished. We're still looking for finishing funds and color, where you have to do some color correction and this and that. But I'm sure you'll still enjoy the film. And, and people, you know, really flipped out for the film. And it was very gratifying. And okay. afterwards, they would say, I love the film. How much money do you need? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and I yeah. literally raised the entire budget of the film just from the Aspen screening. Oh, wow. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Bruce Letty. The film is Sing Now or Forever Hold Your Peace. Did you find uh, that as you were filming, as you are in production, and you were just describing how this was your money and you had a cast that you must have felt very comfortable with, does that sort of sense that you're in it, you're, you're in the game, you've thrown, you know, basically you're all in, if you're going to use a poker term, does the cast sort of feed off of that when you're, when you're in that kind of a situation? I think they do. I mean, I, you know, they were all very generous with their time and their, their effort, and the sort of harsh reality is that whether I was financing it or anyone else, they knew that it was a small-budget project. You know, we shot it for well under a million dollars, and yeah. that means that, um, you know, the cast is getting paid SAG, low-budget, whatever, you know, which is really almost an embarrassingly low amount of money. So they, they all, before they even get there, they know that they're doing it for the love of the project. Right. And, you know, which is also incredibly gratifying and flattering that, you know, people like Molly Shannon and Mark Feuerstein and, you know, people who've done a lot of film and television, you know, just plain love the script and said, I want to do this. And they don't even, they know they're not going to get, you know, a trailer and a place, you know, or even a dressing room necessarily, or it's definitely going to be adventure camp for uh, a month. Well, well, fortunately, there were some nice settings. And I mean, at least you you didn't have them out in the desert or on on a mountaintop somewhere, you know, fighting the elements, some uh, beautiful locations. Also have Elizabeth Reeser. Yeah, in, in the yeah. in the cast, and she appears apparently is in almost every independent film <laughs> produced in the last couple yeah. of years. Sweetland, uh, Pacini for Beginners, your right. film. I know she's done some other stuff, so she's really making a name for herself. Yeah, and now she's on Grey's Anatomy as well. In Grey's Anatomy, she's terrific. Yeah, well, she is great, and and we were lucky to have her as well as all of them. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's a good she, cast. Yeah, it's a it's a really really great cast, and that's a tribute to to uh, Av Kaufman. Av cast. Brokeback Mountain and Capote and Syriana and Cinderella Man and, you know, 75 massive films. And when she agreed to do my film, that was the point at which I said, okay, I'm going to take out money. I'm going to make this happen. Because I knew it was a very, very challenging casting thing to get good actors who could handle the comedy and the drama and could sing and could work for a low budget in New York. You know, there was a lot, there were a lot of hurdles to clear. So um, having her say yes was the point at which I went, okay, this is going to work out. I'm going to go for it. So the actors are doing all their own singing on this, too. It's a mix. There are uh-huh. a few tracks that are sung by college groups that I found. Some of the ones that are underscore, like the John Mayer track, uh-huh. the Coldplay Trouble is by a group from Oxford, England, called Out of the Blue. Um, just in researching the film and the music, I discovered these just incredible productions by amateur groups. I was just astonished at the quality of of their performances, and there really was no way I was going to do any better with anybody. So, you know, we licensed some of those songs, and then the rest of them, we had sort of a super group of a cappella singers in New York, led by this guy, Sean Altman, who formed the group Rockapella, which is kind of a seminal group in in that genre. So he he and some other guys pre-recorded the songs, and then we brought in the the actors to sing their own solos, and also to learn all the backing parts so that, you know, they went sort of 
through a one-week acapella boot camp oh, to, uh, you know, learn all the backing parts. But um, Well, I've got to say, it really looked authentic. That's, that's yeah. really what I was yeah. going at. I never for a minute thought that these people aren't singing this. Yeah. And there's so many times where you, where you see a film where somebody's just not caring whether the person that's playing the instrument or singing even looks like they, they have a grip on what they're doing. Yeah, they did a great job, and they really are legitimate singers, especially, and also uh, like Samrat Chakrabarti, who plays uh, Will, he is an actual you know, vocal percussionist uh-huh. and has sung in many groups, and so we actually recorded him for all the percussions so that it would be exactly in sync with what he did on camera. Because that kind of stuff is impossible to fake. He did a nice job of showcasing his chops in the film. Yeah. You've got a background here. I just want to kind of pull this together. You, you're a director on Mad TV. Uh-huh. So you're, work, you're kind of used to working with ensembles. Yes. And uh, so did that, that served you well in this film, I'm sure. I think that's true. And, and just, you know, directing in general tends to be a lot about managing people. And it's a diverse group of people, both within a cast where something like Mad TV has a huge range of people, whether they're the veterans or they're the newcomers and they need more hand holding or less. That's true of my cast in the film, but also, you know, you need to be able to deal with crew people and people that you're begging favors from and finance people and lawyers. You know, so I think that's actually, you know, one of the things that people don't look at very often with directors. It's really a lot about people skills and... um, Wearing many hats. Yeah, it's a lot of hats. (laughs) I want to thank you very much. The film Sing Now, Forever Hold Your Peace. Thank you, Bruce Letty. Thanks, guys, very much. I appreciate the help. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.